Hello and welcome everyone. This is another episode of How to Pakistan. I have with me as usual uh, none other than Musharraf Zaidi who has graciously uh, taken out time from his multi-foreign travels to do a podcast and today we have a re- guest that we're uh, very delighted to have. So I'll let you introduce our guest. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, salam to all the listeners. Apologies for on Fussy's behalf for having uh, been for having been disappeared for yes. so long. Uh, the disappearance was not enforced; it was uh, it was voluntary, and uh, it's all Fussy's fault uh, as usual. Um, I think, as listeners know, the country's uh, been going through yet another uh, interesting period with respect to uh, its relationship with the, with the, well, in one way with violent extremism, in another way with justice, uh, in another way with pluralism, and uh, the intersection at which violent extremism, justice or the lack of justice, and pluralism, uh, that intersection where those three things meet uh, is, uh, is, is the intersection at which uh, many Pakistanis have lost their lives, uh, and they've not lost them accidentally. They've been they've been uh, taken from their families and from us. Um, one of those uh, victims uh, of this intersection was uh, Governor Salman Tasir of the PPP, and uh, and for a lot of people in Pakistan, another one of those victims is Asia Bibi, in whose defense Tasir essentially ended up uh, giving his life. Um, it's an extremely sensitive topic. As a, uh, as, a, as a Muslim myself and as a person who really owes his faith to... I, I really think, for me, just as a personal reflection, I really became Muslim the first time I visited Medina. Like, I, I, you know, the relationship with the Prophet is not, uh, it's not light. No Muslim takes it lightly. And so it's really, I think, troubling and interesting, the kind of narrative that's taken over the country, especially with the most recent, you know, the post Mumtaz Qadri kind of narrative that's taken over the country. Uh, the, the degree of care that people have to exercise in discussing this is both valid but also begs uh, reflection and, and merits reflection. Uh, having said all that, I, I think it's a privilege for, for the podcast, for Fussy and myself, if I can say that on your behalf, Fussy, for us to welcome Shan Tasir, uh, who in many ways is, a, uh, is carrying on the legacy of, uh, of his father's fight for a pluralistic, open, a multicultural, uh, multi-identity Pakistan. Uh, Sean is uh, also someone that I've known personally, uh, is uh, delightful and also cynical, fun guy to be around. So he's um, going to be my friend, basically. Exactly. And, 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 and with me, you know, it's always a troubled relationship. Cynical is is open to interpretation. (laughs) We start right right away. Um, In any case, Salman, thank you for joining us and and talking to us today. I think it's a timely, uh, timely sort of a recording of the podcast, given everything that's happened in the last few days. How are you? 
Well, first of all, Fasi and Musharraf, thank you so much for inviting me and um, greetings to all your guests. I'm uh, privileged and honored to be here because, as you mentioned, I've also known you personally and and have have admired your your views, disagreed with many of them, but can't help but admire the 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 belief with which you take the positions that you do. Fussy, on the other hand, we haven't our paths haven't crossed, but Fussy, I've ad admired you from a distance and have uh, enjoyed the wit that you brought into into um, uh, visual media. And uh, you, you, you continue to lend your views very admirably to positions that require some sanity. So very honored to be here and look forward to this conversation. Thank you. I have to say that's the nicest thing any guest has ever said about us. I think, I think he's setting us up. <laughs> <laughs> he's softening uh, us up. Exactly. 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 Uh, before the fall. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Sean, how did you feel when you when you learned about the Supreme Court verdict? Um, Obviously, Musharraf, there were many, many mixed feelings. And I think I speak for many people over here because um, the fate of Asia Bibi and the, the directions this case took, uh, my father's involvement in this, uh, many people's hopes and aspirations were tied uh, to Asia Bibi. So there's no doubt that 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 you know people are going to feel very very passionate about this issue either way. I obviously come from that side of the of of the divide that wanted to see Asia free, uh, not because this is a tribal position, not because we are backing sports teams, but I feel very very strongly that that justice is on the side of Asia. Uh, for, for, for extremely very, very objective, well-thought-out positions. I believed that Asia must be freed. So it was basically a, you know, it was, it was a celebratory moment. I was very happy. And, you know, I also want to share that, that I was suddenly flooded on social media, on my, on my telephone, from messages around the world uh, congratulating me. Um, congratulating my family, congratulating me. And my initial response was congratulations right back to all of you. I mean, this is this is wonderful news uh, for all of us. But there was no doubt as that good news was coming in that there's going to be a, a sting at the end of this scorpion's tail. There, there's, there's, there, there's going to be, a, a, there's going to be a, 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 a response to this. And, and as we saw, Quick on the heels of that good news, the um, blowback came in. Sean, I just wanted to ask a question. And, you know, I, I thought about this for a number of years, actually. When this sort of tragedy befalls your family, and in some ways when a lot of people also say, how do you move beyond this? Many people would probably advise to keep yourself safe, uh, for your family to uh, put things behind you. You would disengage with the issue. But... One of the things that has struck me is how all of you have very stridently taken it up, like your father's sacrifice, his uh, position on the issue. It's something that, you know, you chose to inherit in a way and made it, you know, uh, a defining moment for yourselves. I mean, did it ever occur to you that we'd like to be just done with this? You know, it, 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 it did. Um, 
Well, I, I can't say that there was, you know, one sat down and, and thought it through and sort of decided that, okay, now I'm going to do, you know, do this or involve myself in this, this way or that way. Events just took a turn. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Um, after my father's passing, um, I was approached by, by uh, Christian groups all over the country, uh, literally saying, help us. Um, and by help us, they mean, you know, uh, speak for us. When a, a blasphemy occurrence happens, uh, sorry, when, when a blasphemy accusation takes place and someone gets caught in this mire of, of accusations and rage, and, you know, it's very often I get, I get a call, uh, sometimes directly from the family, sometimes from um, sort of uh, connected parties. And, you know, it's a cry for help. Um, so, so a lot of it was, was, was you know, just um, getting involved in this um, because how, how can you say no to that? Um, I, no, I mean, I don't, I, I, I didn't, one didn't think it through or make a conscious decision. But of course, at the same time, at the same time, I was very, very aware of, you know, the, um, of, of the fact that, that this is a position that has to be taken on the on on the basis of your of, of your conscience, because at, at at some point someone has to speak out for something that they believe that their conscience dictates, and and you know one was one repeatedly found oneself in a position that in a situation that you had to take a position, and one thing led to another, and you know over over time I've I've become more and more involved in this, but I I didn't set out deliberately to be part of this. Um, one other quick question, and I think this is a discussion me and Musharraf has ha- have had once before on this podcast, is that it's this paradox of this particular situation. You have a woman who's one of the most vulnerable groups in Pakistan. She's poor. She's Christian. She's been accused of what is, uh, you know, in Pakistan, a monumental uh, crime to most people. And then at the same time, that the very people who lead the charge are in their own ways disadvantaged. They are possibly, uh, you know, sectioned off. They're otherized in their own ways. And yes. one of the questions is, is that it seems odd sometimes that, you know, the guys leading the charge against her don't see her vulnerability in a way that maybe there would be a degree of, let's say, class sympathy, class consciousness. Why do you think that's so? You know, I, I think that's a really interesting question. It, it sort of cuts across many other questions. Why do people not feel any sense of class solidarity? Um, if we leave the why aside, what we do know for a fact is that people do not feel any any sense of solidarity on class. That, that, that way of thinking or that, that utopia uh, doesn't exist. Um, the, 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 the solidarities that people feel or the tribes that they feel that they are divided in for various historical reasons, I believe, are strongly along religious lines. So um, the, the kind of people who, 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 who sort of lead these charges see Asia Bibi as the other because of her faith. And from a lot of comments that I get on social media, this is reaffirmed because... 
it's, it's really interesting to read some of these comments that when if, if I'm talking about blasph the blasphemy law, amendments to it, etc., um, a lot of people say things like, and this is a, a, a repeated thing that, oh, what about the poor victims of the U.S. war on terror in, in Palestine, in Iraq? What about poor Muslims in Kashmir? So, so it's very interesting when you get an answer like this because it shows you the, the sort of mental categories that they've sorted out in their mind. So, so they see themselves as, as having a solidarity with the, the Palestinian, with the Kashmiri, with the Iraqi. But they see Asia Bibi as being an agent of the other side. So Asia Bibi, with, with her helplessness, with her poverty, with a complete lack of resources, has the burdens burden of U.S. imperialism on her shoulder in their mental worldview. So, 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 so this worldview is very pervasive, and I think that's how people think. Right. No, I, I, I see your point. I'm, I'm also wondering um, that in this is another way that I've also sort of noticed the issue is that if you draw a parallel, and this is probably domestically within Pakistan with the death penalty. And the death penalty in itself, a lot of people, when they suggest that there's a utilitarian thinking that it's such a deterrent that even if a couple innocents get waylaid on the process, it's worth yeah. it for society. And in the same way that I sometimes see when you were arguing about, you know, blasphemy is a serious issue, you need to be able to ensure that anybody accused does not fall just on the basis of an accusation. When you hear the responses, sometimes you get the feeling that the argument is, is that if we're strong on this, even they, they'll never articulate it, but even if a couple get burnt along the way, it's worth it because it creates the environment that prevents this. Do you ever see any sort of rationalization of that sort? Oh, entirely. I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt that the scales of justice are heavily skewed on the side of, you know, let, let, let 10 uh, innocent people be punished as opposed to one guilty person go free. But that's, that is by design. Um, because, you know, even the law itself um, has has certain elements in it. One is that it is very, very broad and almost, I'd say, vague in how it defines blasphemy and, and puts in a lot of open-ended caveats as to what could constitute blasphemy. So, so deliberately, it, it appears that a very broad net has been thrown in with the intention of, of, of covering catching intention of catching as many potential people in this net as possible so so that kind of thinking does pervade then on the ground also but the other thing i just want to say is that that's the law but when a blasphemy accusation occurs on the ground there's a huge the power politics immediately kick in it's not about a, uh, an accusation anymore it's not even so much about the legalities or, you know, whether blasphemy occurred or not. Wherever an accusation takes place on the ground, there are power politics because you have an enraged mob, which is uncontrolled power, which is, which is, which is just um, 
power waiting to be exploited. Yeah, and it's irresistible. It's what? It's irresistible. For local level actors, the deployment of that yes. kind of power is irresistible. When, wherever there is unchecked power, it will be abused. There's that, you know, that's, that's, that's a failing of, of, of the human situation. And, and that happens on the ground whenever there's a blasphemy charge. So, so among other things, you know, among the, the, you know, apart from the fact that you know economic scores have to be can be settled, personal disputes can be settled. There's also a lot of influence that comes in a, a, a society, and this this is this, this is you know because of the kind of radicalization we see. But the people who are involved on in the accusing party and the other people that become uh, involved sort of gain sudden traction. Uh, within that society, and obviously they see that cases then get that get cut, catapulted to national level, then gets them the attention, the influence of larger groups from around the country. So it becomes a power play starts immediately. So 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 it's very alluring, therefore, uh, to 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 then to then push your 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 point as far as you can. But what suffers in all of this is objectivity. Of course. Speaking, speaking of objectivity, and this is not easy to do, obviously, um, but I'm going to take uh, maybe a slightly, maybe a, I'm going to try and challenge uh, both you and uh, Fussy, uh, Sean, because we were just talking about class and, you know, there's this question of why doesn't class solidarity kick in when it comes to uh, a case like this? And I would posit that, in fact, class solidarity very much does kick in. And in many ways, Sean kind of alluded to it as well, because actually the associations of class are not in the way that you and I might think of them, because when we see Asya and we see her accuser, we see two people of relatively the same station in life, wondering why they aren't looking out for each other. But what's happening in terms of the of the gathering mob that is baying for the blood of somebody like Asya is that Asya mm -hmm. becomes a symbol of elite oppression. And, and this is the part that's, that's harder for me to say because it's, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make an argument and I think I'm going to use an, I'm going to employ a device that's I think unfair, but, but I'll do it because we're having a discussion and the whole point of this is to, is to maybe push, um, push ourselves a little bit, uh, not too much. <laughs> I think yes. when you see... Not up a cliff. No, absolutely not, inshallah. When you see somebody who is, who's got as much style and charisma uh, as, as Salman Taseer, who is not... I mean, who's the polar opposite of the word conservative, right? I mean, he, he doesn't care what you think. He is who he is. He's a self-made man. Uh, he's got intellectual depth. Uh, you know, and and he's got a lot of self confidence, and so with and, and he's clearly in in many ways a symbol of the elite for somebody who hasn't made it in life. So when that mob sees Asya being defended by that person, that becomes a class war, and the war is actually it. it I think it aligns perfectly with 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 class stature because Asya becomes a symbol of that class. So that's one thing that I would posit. 
which is backward integrated, right? So, so I just want to add something to this, and maybe I'd like to ask Sean also to answer this. Is so if we, I think that's an interesting way that you've put it, right? Because then um, what it does is that the symbols of the coalition tend to change what people perceive as class, right? And so even though maybe she's poor, that they see that a certain elite sympathy has come across, so then maybe... So, I, I mean, I think that's interesting, but maybe one thing I'd like to ask is that, and I, rem I, I do not remember exactly, that's why I hope uh, Sean could send some light on it, is before your father championing the case, what was the status of Asia's case or the degree to which it had drawn attention? Um, if I recall, and I could be wrong, um, I think that she had been convicted at the civil, uh, by a civil judge. Um, I could be wrong here, um, but, but I don't think even, I don't think even the civil case was closed. She was uh, sort of like convicted by an early magistrate, uh, found guilty and arrested. Um, um, but, but... I, I think he and everyone was all too cognizant that in the case in 295C, which is a non-bailable offense, um, once the case starts, you're you're in there until until it is overthrown by the by a higher judiciary. So your chances of getting so you may not have been convicted, but your fate is sealed. So so I think she was awaiting a civil trial. Um, and but the big thing is that convicted. No, I'm sorry, accused under 295C, a non-bailable offence carrying a mandatory death charge, um, death sentence. Let me. Let me. I, I just want to add something to maybe what you were saying, Sharif, which is another way of also looking at what you just said, is that in some ways, and I've seen this at a number of times, is that. Um, Christians in Pakistan, despite their economic lower rung, are also seen as uh, not as Pakistani in the sense that there is a connection to a worldwide Christian order. At uh, Hind Hindus, Hindus the same. So uh, again, when six, yeah, so Sadars, uh, Ahmadis. So when we're thinking about class, Shias, right, yeah, Iran, Iran lobby. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like the otherization project is very, very robust here. Look, I, I mean, let me let me take this a bit further. Yeah, and and I actually want to pivot from the past and the present. Yeah, uh, because mm -hmm. they're both painful and I think you know uh, flammable. I want to pivot to the future, and I want to use the same argument I was using to demonstrate to you why I'm extremely nervous about the way things are going to go from here on in. We saw the circus, the media circus around the issue of her presence or departure, uh, her presence in the country or departure from the country. We also yeah, saw, yeah. We also saw the, the, the showboating by the EU president um, with, oh, yeah. with the publication of a letter. And I'm almost certain that, God forbid, if she ends up in the Netherlands, we will see an industrial strength level effort to Ayan Hirsiher and for Geert Wilders and an entire manufacturing 
base of Islamophobia and anti-Pakistan narrative to to get a to get a boost from this and to try and use Asia and exploit the the hardship that she's gone through, which the only interest I have in that whole debate is not so much you know back positive or not that, that that's really secondary or tertiary. The principal outcome of that kind of a dynamic is the re-establishment and reaffirmation of the elite versus non-elite debate. That the elite are supported by an international network, they love Christians, they love Hindus, but they don't really care about an ordinary Punjabi boy of 25 years of age that doesn't have a job and happens to have a pagri and a beard, right? And that that, that class it's war lot, is established. Yeah, but that's a lot I, like I, I, I rednecks that, who support uh, Trump, I, right? Yeah, sorry, Afim. Please, go ahead. Chan, please go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, Musharraf, you have brought up a very valid point. In fact, that is my fear, and it is something that 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 really really gets up my wick, uh, which is this commoditization of 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 our and trivialization of our tragedy. So basically put into a little recognizable box, reconverted as something that Ayan Hirsi Ali or like you said, and the likes of them can, can sort of parade around. And, 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 and like you said, the EU president stepping in at the last minute, um, signaling his virtues to the whole world, showing what a good person he is and how caring they are. <laughs> that is... No, I mean, of course, you ask if you're that caring. What yeah. about the 200 other people? Why don't you start caring about them? I mean, why are you caring about the one that just came out? So, 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 so Yes, exactly. Now, now to sort of come and take your bows and accept your medals and show the whole world how virtuous you are. So, yes, you're right. That machinery has kicked in. And, and, and that machinery is entirely going to exploit uh, uh, this issue and, and, and basically commoditize it and, and put a little spin on it. Um, but, but just sort of like, uh, that's one element of class. Uh, but I just want to say that, you know, like what you brought up earlier about how the, uh, people were to view, for example, my father's lifestyle. Um, he's an unapologetic liberal. He was also very irreverent, uh, funny, witty. He knew how to rub someone the wrong way if he so wanted. Um, very, very sort of um, um, unapologetic about his success as well. Um, so obviously he inspired some class resentment. Okay. Now, at the same time, Junaid Jamshed also stepped on the wrong side of the same issue but did not inspire the same kind of passion. So that, that proves what you said, that a lot of the definitions of class are sort of the old definitions of uh, stature in life. But, but we, we, you know, all of this has some additional, um, you know, your tribe is extended essentially by how liberal and how conservative you are. That is also seen as, you know, the prattlings of class. Um, photographs of my father at Sunday magazine, um, uh, a lifestyle he enjoyed. They, you know, these were sort of paraded around social media and, and shown as evidence of the fact that 
murdering him was justified. Yeah. Now, now these aren't arguments that you can you can you can take on and address, but in a way they are very revealing of the person who's making the argument because they are revealing their worldview and 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 how how they see um, the world around them and who they define as themselves and who they define as their enemies. Absolutely right. You know, while you were talking about the position that uh, that your father took, you know, I was suddenly reminded that uh, Asma Jangir is no longer with us. Uh, a whole generation of uh, of activists and and defenders of. Actually, I thought of Asma when when you mentioned uh, when you mentioned how people reached out to you, and and said, "Hey, don't stop speaking up." Because you know, I was at Asma's funeral, and and like everyone that you talk to, especially people that she was close to, they've discovered like wave after wave of unknown people for whom she would she would fight and and for whom she would stand up, and I mean, it's just an observation, but I just think in our country today when I try to think of what's going to replace Asma Jahangir or, yeah. you know, in, 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 in the case of your father, Salman Tasir or, or many others, you know, I'm, I guess it would be unfair because, you know, we've spoken to Gibran Nasser on this podcast and yeah. I think, I think he's fantastic. Uh, Saroop Ijaz just wrote this blazingly beautiful piece, uh, you know, mm. powerful piece. Um, you know, and and there's many friends of ours like Ali uh, Dayan and, and and others who are who stand up for human rights. Yeah. But it is a, I think it is a dwindling population, and and I think that the tools available to for those that seek to conflagrate are much more powerful than the tools that are available to those that seek to bring people together. I just want to start, give a small anecdote, which is really interesting. Is like when I was younger, when I was like 15 or something, and I said, wow, this Asma Jangir is really amazing. And yeah. so there's a, a family member of mine who detested her. Absolutely. And I had no real reason to do so. But it was all, you know, Pakistan ke khilaf hai, yeah, wo hai, wo hai. It's very interesting that when she died, I met him by chance and he said, yaar, jo bhi thi, dirty nahi thi. Oh, shit. And, and I was like, finally. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and in a way, I also hark back for that sort of period because there, I also see a slight difference is that in an older generation, whatever we may criticize, they mm. had some kind of recognition for some kind of qualities instead of the utter demonization that, you know, we're now finding ourselves in a much more polarized state. But I just wanted to ask something from you, Sean. Um, you know, uh, when your father, um, it, you know, in the lead up when there were a couple of television interviews, I, I found something that I've been thinking about. And what it is, is that we've discussed the blasphemy laws and how they're applied for maybe 40 years now. And one of the things that happened in the case of your father, which nobody had picked up on, 
is that the mood had changed, that what was then an acceptable level of constructive criticism, including the semantics of how you did it, had suddenly yeah. flipped. And now what we've seen, at least in the past year or two, is that what's become markedly different is it's not anymore about just the finality of the profit or anything like that. It's also about that the laws themselves are considered deified. That yes. So even when we look at something like you know an election form, which is sourced on some principles from you know Islam, mm -hmm. but the form itself is not immutable. And I've noticed that this. Have you picked up on this that the the nature the of widening the immutability of the domain. Yeah. Uh, you know, just I'll just pick up that thread when you were talking about the passing of icons, because um, I think this is connected to that. You know, I think someone like Asma, um, my father, you know, that that generation was the generation of the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, a generation that 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 truly. Now you have to understand that their parents saw the first, not the first, but the Second World War. So, so these were people who truly believed in a brave new world. And who were the icons that they had around them? Che Guevara, uh, ZAB. You know, if you, if you had a third world internationalism, a leftist third world view, uh, you'd look up to, to Che Guevara, you'd look up to ZAB. And, and it, was, it was a time, it was, remember, the 1970s were a very violent, um, was a very violent um, decade. It was a time of revolution where, where, where resistance wasn't demonized in the same way as it has been after 9-11. After Any kind of resistance wasn't branded as terrorism uh, immediately. And, and, you know, there was, a, there was a global international solidarity. Um, you know, the people like them, Tariq Ali, where, you know, this, this generation actually believed in a better world. But you know what's 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 happened since then. First of all, uh, you can't you can't take out the impact that social media has had on our lives. I mean, we do in a way feel that sharing something has you know we've depleted our our, our reserves of, of of compassion for a cause by sharing something on social media or liking it. So you know, activism has been trivialized uh, to 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 some extent. Um, the other thing is that, you know, you're talking about, about how um, the landscape changed uh, at the time that my father was accused of blasphemy. You know, there was, a, there was an immediate change or a sudden change, and I trace it back to the cartoon riots, the Danish cartoon riots of, what, what was it, 2006. Because suddenly blasphemy became a serious issue then. Uh, sorry, representation of the prophet became a serious issue. Um, of course, it was it was it was you know it was it was very much there. People were being accused of blasphemy before also, but to suddenly see a powerful European state do it, uh, do it brazenly, and sort of laugh at you and tell you to f off, while right next door the Afghan uh, the the Afghan war is going on, which, which is also seen as the, Abu Ghraib you know, had the, just the happened. 
Abu, Abu Ghraib had just happened. Yeah. So in the light, yes, exactly. So in the light of all of that, the cut, at the time of the cartoon riots, suddenly it became more serious business. Um, and, and delving into such things became dangerous. Um, so, 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 have... so there was a passing of that old politics. There was a passing of that kind of activism. Because, you know, in the, in the 1970s, when you came out on the streets and yelled, Roti Kapra or Makan, you weren't expecting a suicide bomber to take you out. The rules of the game were different then. I think that's a very interesting perspective. That is an interesting perspective. I, I, you know, I was, uh, uh, I have a kind of different vantage point for all of this because I grew up as a as a Muslim minority in a in a non-Muslim majority society and um, where was that it was it was in Canada okay and um and I my first so I was really lucky because my my parents were very keen on on sort of me being being politically sort of engaged so from a very young age I was a I was a young liberal. I used to canvass for politicians. And then suddenly, Satanic Verses came out. And uh, and my parents weren't into it at all. Like I remember distinctly, there was we used to go to uh, Sunday school, to the, to the Jami Masjid in Toronto. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, the, the topic du jour there was, was what this guy had done and the terrible things that were written in the book. And uh, the terrible uh, sort of things, and there was passages that, that you know that were passed around, and I remember protesting, and you know we did a march to city hall, and you know just like it was the most politically engaged that I'd been up to that point in my life, and I was all of twelve years old, and so my very early memories of political engagement are rooted in in responding to an attack on the person and and the and the and the life and and times of rasulullah sallallahu so for me you know the the irony of all of this is of course i grew up in this otherwise largely pluralistic society that in many ways cocooned me and and you know cocooned all the sort of brown and black and yellow and pink kids into you know uh, into being capable and 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 uh, hopefully yeah. responsible citizens. And so as a Pakistani, wh where I am the majority uh, in, in, mm. in my country, you know, I feel like we should privilege these Christians and Hindus and Ahmadis and, and all these non-majority sort of stakeholders in our society in the same way that they should have the ability to feel that their sentiments are secure. And so... For me, the, so the isn't that isn't that slightly like yes, I agree with you, but aren't we really, really, you know? I mean, that point is like a dot on the horizon right now. Well, but what's more, what's even more troubling, Sean, is that the I think Umar Warajh wrote a piece in the Washington Post, and and that's a really good one as well, and and he's been on this podcast as well, and Umar says, you know, what's ironic is that. This is a country that's 97% Muslim with, with every protection to religious sentiment uh, that, that you can imagine uh, that is not just part of law, but also now constitutionalized. And so the, the question is... And enforced. Well, beyond enforced, right? I mean, like you said, once the accusation is in the oven, I mean, that cake is going to come out full-blown. Full there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no, like... 
half-baked version of this, right? No. I mean, I mean, judges, the judge that the judge that convicted Muntaz Kadri does not live in Pakistan any longer. Same as the story for half a dozen civil servants and, and magistrates involved throughout throughout the case. And same as the, I mean, this is not like a one-off thing. And so, I, I don't know, like, what is the when you think about this? And I don't want to be alarmist or fatalistic, Sean, but. Yeah. Do, you, do you really see that there is a way to rest back compassion and pluralism? And this is coming from someone who, you know, who is easily offended on, on religious issues. Like, I mean, so, so I'm not coming at this from some flag-burning liberal sort of perspective, right? But, yeah. but I do think we need to restore the ability to have a pluralistic society. And I really think that that is under enormous threat. I mean, I, I really don't see how we're going to rest it back. Do you? Well, I mean, look, the, the, where you and I completely agree is your diagnosis of the situation. So basically, your diagnosis, if I've read it correct, is that you have a, a society with a huge, large element religiosity, almost, I'd say, religiously obsessed is probably the most religious society on the planet uh, right now, um, and 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 that's fine. But now here's where the problem starts. Uh, it's a it's a deeply religiously obsessed society, but it is paranoid. Paranoid to the to the to the to the uh, point of neurosis. Uh, not just paranoid of a minority. But, 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 you know, you have a generation here that has been brought up on a collage of conspiracy theories. I mean, I, I know because I often get into debates with people when, you know, I, I've offended them. Like I had a photograph and I was, I was shaking, um, the, uh, sh- shaking hands with the Ahmadi uh, Khalifa. And I put that uh, photograph up and I said, Pakistan for all. And we all have to be one. And I got a slew of, of, of vitriol came my way. Uh, and I, sort of being a, the masochist that I am, tried to negotiate with them. And, and I, what I got a lot, you know, this, the, the responses I got from them were very telling. Like, for example, I would try my best to reason with them. And the response I would get is something along the lines of, what's your agenda? Oh, God, what's my agenda? And the, the word agenda implies that you're a Western agent, you're working for the West, there's always in their worldview, in their conspiracy worldview, there's, a, there's, there's an evil West working against them. Now, um, of course, there are many television anchors, there's a lot of mainstream media that's advanced this view. But what's scary is that, that uh, do you tell me if you agree with me or not, that, that there's a, there's a, entire generation that actually believes that Amir Liaquat is, um, what's that word, word he calls himself, son of Pakistan or something, they actually believe that someone like Amir Liaquat is looking out for their interests that, and, and the kind of paranoia that, that, that he, he sort of, um, he, 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 he sells is valid. But, you know, you just want to stop for a second and ask the question, why so much paranoia for a 97 or 98% Muslim country? So you have a majority that's paranoid. Um, obviously, we know from Nazi Germany and 
fascist Japan that you know this is, these are not good symptoms um, but, but but it's the 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 paranoia has actually seeped into a generation of millennials that seem to have been educated on these conspiracy theories and take them to heart so do you so agree I, with me that well let, let me just to advance the conversation uh, and also because I actually don't agree with you. Let me let me pause can I, it. Can I just add something else to this? I mean, I, I find what you're saying very interesting, especially in relation to how the mood changed and the antecedents for that. Because I do believe there is a level of a mass anxiety about this issue. And uh, some of it has to do with general anxiety, and that has to do with the number of things that are going on in Pakistan, some that have been instilled, some that have just come across because of our situation. But one of the other things that comes to mind is like, so I don't usually discuss much about myself, but you know, when I was growing up, Musharraf, I mean, you've met my mother, right? She was deeply religious. Um, in fact, in some ways, morally inflexible on many issues. And, uh, you know, I, I used to joke with her. She's basically angry at me all the time. But, but the thing about her was that you know, I used to joke with her sometimes. I said, like, you know, you're doctrinally Wahhabi and emotionally Rasta, right? Because <laughs> she had a lot of compassion. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, some things she would argue. Yeah, but that's the her. Pakistani big mama anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one thing that I always remember, and it keeps coming back to me recently, is that, you know, the way she taught religion. And, and you know, when you look back on it, it was that there was this, even if you look within Islam, the... There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, emphasis one on humility, one on evidence, the the way to carefully speak, and not only does it have to be measured, but it has to be well founded. And now, when you look at this particular situation, and then you wonder, is that you know? Again, is that a prioritization has been taking place where they say that that value set of Islam is almost subsumed by this perceived threat that people face. So, so, I, so I guess that that's an addition to what Sean was saying in yeah. some ways. And whilst I jumped the gun by saying I disagreed with him, I will jump it again and say, you know, I think there's an alternative. It's not about agreement or disagreement. I, I think what I want to posit are alternatives to to, mm, to what yes. you're saying. Because I think a lot of our listeners, you know, uh, there's a lot of confirmation bias in terms of the media that we choose. And so my suspicion is that a lot of our listeners tend to agree with our positions before they've pressed play anyway. And one of the mm. things we've tried to do, and when we named the podcast, you remember, Fussy, we, we talked about the art of the Pakistani conversation yeah. in, in, in terms of also advancing that art, yeah. right? So, so I think... It just so happens, luckily, that I genuinely do disagree with you as well. Yeah. So I think when we when we characterize the paranoia and the, and the otherization and the alienation of young Pakistanis from kind of a more Western liberal doctrine, if you will, yeah. it's not rooted in pure irrational. Uh, mania or, or, or insanity, right? Uh, this is a country where 22 and a half million kids are still out of school. Uh, this is a country where uh, clean drinking water is a luxury, affordable to only those that have 30 rupees to drop. 
for a bottle of Nestle. This is a country where maternal and neonatal health outcomes are among the lowest in the world and often lower than sub-Saharan Africa in terms of infant mortality and child malnutrition. This, you know, the, the, if, if you're seeing things that don't make sense, it's because the lives of those that are most vulnerable to these narratives are very different from the lives of those that have the ability to resist these narratives. Now, there's a big middle ground where there are people who have the cognitive and material resources to be able to resist uh, narratives of uh, binary narratives and narratives of otherness about their own citizens and their own neighbors. So there, I think there's a debate to be had as to what happened there. You know, when the Beacon House graduate with an engineering degree is going down the same path as Khadim Hussain Rizvi, that does prompt some questions, right? Because that is clearly outside the box of what I'm talking about. But we have to be able to parse this a little bit. There is a substantial element of class anxiety and deprivation-driven rage that is informing the Barelvi revivalism yeah, yeah, yeah. in I, this country. I, I just want to add something to this. I, so I see what you're saying, but I don't entirely agree. The thing is, when we look at other examples around the world, right? So you've got deprivation. One is also relative. You can have a great degree of material comforts and still feel deprived. And that question is on mindset. So if you look at the U.S. and how it's voted, there's a certain question that you put up that if the most advanced nation in the history of Earth can behave in the way it's behaving, right, what is the root of the problem? If you look at Bhutan, where there is... But, but then we know that it's not the ISI and Pakistani mullahs that are causing that, right? I, I mean, that's the, so, kind of the point that I'm so, making so, is that... Yeah, so the point I'm also making is yeah. that we, if you're saying it's not just them, I'm also saying it's not just deprivation. It's also the question is that, you know, we've rooted ourselves in a particular way and it's going to be hard to disaggregate where what and when because i mean if you say okay it started with Bhutto and you know his choice we were you know i i find it very interesting if you read how the objectives resolution was passed and over the objections of some of the non-muslim members and it was very interesting reading so I think, and, and yes, you have a nation state that comes into being in 47 and you have a scramble. How do I make this coherent? And, I, and many nations will embark upon a nation building project and there will be huge mistakes along the way. And the interesting thing is that one of the things is that we haven't learned along the way. Uh, we've compounded our errors, but I, guess, I don't I think guess, it's either or. No, sure. Yeah. I guess the question on nation building is what I asked Sean, and I'm going to ask Sean again for, for his view on this, is whether or not there's any recovery on the pluralism uh, path. Well, I mean, to get to that, I'm just going to double back to what you said, where you disagreed with me. Um, you basically said it's that there slide. is a disenfranchisement, there's a, there's a deprivation which is fueling this. I agree with you completely that that is central to, to sort of, central to my question. There's no doubt about that. The breakdown of governance, the fact that the average person sees no opportunities, no job opportunities, 
um, um, the stand, you know, despite all the all, all the economic development that has taken place in Pakistan in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, divisions of income have only possibly only widened. So the average person is not a stakeholder in in prosperity. And there's a there's a disillusionment, there's a deprivation, disenfranchisement, which is feeding this. Not only is it feeding this, but even the language used by the likes of the TLP actually directly speaks to it and directly encourages it. But that still doesn't answer my question. Why is is this the only ideology on offer? Is why is this nihilism uh, driven by driven by nihilism, victimhood, and extreme religiosity, uh, why is that the only solution on the shelf? I mean, is the marketplace of ideas completely empty? I mean, I, I know that, that, that many of the great ideologies of the 70s, many progressive ideas, the kind of, you know, the kind of socialism that, that Zulfikar Ali Bhutto spoke about has now become taboo. It's all, it's, you know, saying socialism is a bad word. You don't, you know, genuine left, leftist politics are dead. But wouldn't this have opened the ground sort of for, for some progressive voices, some leftist voices, um, someone talking about a brighter tomorrow, someone talking about rationality? Um, there, there, there's, there's something strange over here that, that there's a complete silence on that front. So I'm very unpopular for, for the so the discussion from here on in gets kind of testy, right? Hmm. So, and and I don't want to I don't want to target anybody who's not here with us. But for example, Ahmad is a good friend, and again, uh, somebody who's been on the How to Pakistan podcast. And you know, Ahmad is represent Ahmad Rashid represents left politics in Pakistan. It's really interesting. Just a little while ago, Sean, you alluded to you know how the left used to stand for resistance. Um, and then after 9-11, something changed. And I mean, I guess one of the ways in which we can measure that is, you know, people like Christopher Hitchens became cheerleaders for the imperialist machine. Yes. Plowing through Afghan and Iraqi lives. Right. Yeah. yeah but even yes. more Car closer. Carpet, carpet bombing villages became became a progressive thing. Suddenly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, just closer to home, it's, it's really interesting. In a sense, the religious right winger, I mean, certainly one with with a robust intellect, and I don't think we should undermine their intellect. I mean, they are politically more powerful than, than frankly, anybody else in the country. So hey, hey, hang on, I'll add to that, and charisma. <laughs> they've sure. got more charisma than any other mainstream leader, I know. Absolutely. But, but they've got poetry, they've got jokes, they, you know, they, they hold my attention better than, you know, most people in the National Assembly would. Or even, or even sort of guitar strumming sort of, you know, pseudo-leftists who've enjoyed, you know, like a properly elite education, right? I mean, the point I'm making is, and, and that's not a shot at Ahmad, that's a shot at somebody else, but, but we'll, we'll get to him later, I guess. I mean, the point is, I think when we look at sort of right-wingers that were against the Soviet Union, like, imagine if you were against the Soviet Union, you were pro-Mujahideen in the 1980s, right? So you were fighting yeah. a big red beast. And, yeah. then, and then, you know, the 90s passed and you were kind of just cooling your heels and then 9-11 happened. And then you were back in the game because now you were fighting yeah. the, big, the big red, white and blue beast. Except the guys yeah. that were against you 
in the communist phase were now against you in the capitalist phase. And so the right winger would be well within their right to turn around and say, dude, this isn't really about ideology because you used to be all leftist and Marxist and now you're all George Bush, either with us or against us. Uh, yeah. So, so I think that the souring and the hardening of the right winger in part might be, might be informed by this. And this is a really killer contradiction for all of us, right? Like anybody that espouses, for me, it's, I like the word pluralism, right? Because that's yeah. one that I can attribute to Qadi Azam. It's one that I can attribute to Alam Iqbal. I can attribute it, I think, to Nabi Pak Sallallahu right? I think pluralism is a central pillar of the way in which any society ever is supposed to work uh, as a Muslim. And so when we see that being torn apart, Maybe partly it's informed by these contradictions. If I could just add one thing to this, I think that's interesting. Um, and, 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 and I'm yeah, not... British well interesting. Ta. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was genuine. Yes, yeah, with, a, with yeah. an eyebrow raised. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but um, I, I think... Um, so I almost... Maybe it's a function of how far things have come along and my belief that it's hard to reverse this, that while finding any form of ideology that would find a more encompassing way for all of us to live together would be ideal. And I think it's something that is definitively far off, especially when we look at all our political parties and yeah. how willing they are to use any chink in the armor caused by these issues. So it's very interesting that the PTI utterly use this in the run-up to the elections, but you just see Abid Sher Ali just the other day just deciding, today. just today, yes. just, just today decides that forget what happened to us, let me use this against them, then you have a reason to fear that where, I mean, progress or reversal will take a long time. So here's a question that's been sort of fermenting in my mind, and I know people have dismissed it offhand, but I almost think that one of the, possible solutions at least to bring some sense back into this particular issue is maybe hardening the law, which is that any accusation that does not meet sufficient evidentiary requirements will result in a case being started against the accuser. So there's already, uh, there's a softer version of that that's already there, right? False accusations are, are, are criminal. And and there was a case I of Ramsha. There was a case of Ramsha Masi. You might remember, just outside Islamabad in Gorla Sharif. There was this, uh, uh, I think, uh, differently abled uh, young girl uh, who was accused by by someone, and it was established without a shadow of reasonable doubt that it was a false accusation and that it was malified, and the yeah. the social networks were mobilized, and that case against the false accuser was basically quashed. So I think this is not, like, it's... What, what, I, I'm unsure of the law, but my understanding is that it is in no way as, as strong, strict sure. as it, what I'm suggesting. My point being is that if you falsely accuse someone of blasphemy, whatever you have alleged to have said is fundamentally a creation of your own mind, which... So most people would disagree with this, but I'm just wondering if the solution now, at least to 
bring it to a point where we can find a way that the law is not misused would be to change some procedural elements of it. Let me ask you something. Yeah. As a follow-up, right? And Sean must think this is an interesting conversation where basically, you know, we... We, we hogged. <laughs> <laughs> he knows we everything that we're talking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, but I guess if there was a an Apple campus with 10,000 developers and engineers and designers in I-9, what do you think would be the chances of Fezabad ever being blocked by any kind of protest? I'll let Chan answer this. Oh, I mean, if, if you're saying that, that, that powerful corporate interests will come to our rescue, possibly yes, but that's not the solution we should, that's not the only solution we should have. I mean, if you're talking about, uh, you know, Apple interests, or, you know, that same argument has been advanced for Chinese CPEC interests that, you know, now the Chinese want to do business with us, so now it's going to end. I don't think this kind of madness is going to, going to stop uh, with that. Because, you know, also, um, just just go, going to one point earlier that you said that, um, um, Fussy said that a change in the law could address this. I think you're behind the curve over here because it's not about the law anymore. The pendulum has swung. The, the debate about what the law should say was is a, is a debate which is about five or six years old. Uh, when my father was murdered, the debate was, thou shalt not change the blasphemy law, and it was about what the law says. Today, the debate, let's call a spade a spade. Why are these people out on the road? What is their, what is their mock-up? It is not that don't change the blasphemy law. This woman was tried under 295 B and C of the blasphemy law and found innocent. Now their contention is that do not find innocent anyone who is accused under blasphemy, uh, do not let them go, do not pass, uh, do, 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 not, do not reverse a verdict, deliver, deliver us the verdict of our choice. So the pendulum has swung so far that, that we are not pretending, even pretending to play a legal game anymore. Because if the issue was law, then the Tariq el should say, all right, guys, thank you, well done, you know, you did arrest her under blasphemy law, you did try her, and the law prevailed, and the law has, you know, played out its course, you know, well done, and we'd all go home. Why are they furious? They're furious because essentially they want... Now, the blasphemy law, I feel, is just a tool to where these people want to go. They want cultural domination. And, and, and that is something that these religious groups have in their reach. Look, they'll never win the, win the vote. What is it, 5%, 10%? They don't get more than that, all of them put together. But much more than that, they've got cultural domination. They can stop Basant. They can stop Valentine's Day. They can decide how the genders sort of interact with each other in universities. They can decide who, which woman wears what on what TV, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. They can stop concerts of John Lennon I'm, in, a, I'm really, you know, in a private education institution. Um, Sean, I'm, I'm really sorry I'm interrupting, but this reminds me of something that always cracks me up. A couple of years ago, and I, I, I just watched that video and it just cracks me up. A couple of years ago, they were having a TV debate on Valentine's Day. And I forget yeah. which Molby was on TV, one of the religious parties. I think it was, maybe it was, uh, alhamdulillah, I'm not sure. 
And it was another person, it was Marvi Sirman. <laughs> yes, 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 she blew yes. my kiss, I remember that. The funniest thing I've seen in my life. So, they're discussing it, and then Marvi Sirman says to the guy, Where is my balloon? He says, no, she said, I will give you that on Valentine's Day. He said, I will give you that on so but so it's interesting right like we're laughing right now yeah this laughter is synthesized by a certain kind of audience as a signifier of contempt contempt for who they are contempt for their condition and contempt for their feeling of being left out, marginalized, and deprived. I'm not suggesting the contempt is well-founded or legitimate. I'm suggesting that it's there. And so to tackle that contempt, I think will require a fundamentally different progressive narrative within Pakistan, which I don't think we found. The closest I can see in the public domain is actually Gibran Nasser. Because if you notice something about Gibran, Gibran is not combative at all. He's resolute, but I don't, I have, I don't remember him being combative. Have you seen him laugh in public? No, it's one he of the... He doesn't laugh. He doesn't laugh. Yeah. yeah. He's very serious. He's very, and the reason is that I think that the progressive narrative in this country requires a degree of alertness and astuteness that is sensitive to the feeling of contempt of the other. And the other is not, Tumare dil mein nahi hai ki wo adar hai. Lekin uske dil mein wo khud apne aap ko adar mehsoos kar raha hai. Oopar se hum keh keh maar rahe hai. Aap baat samaj ho? Yeah, so yeah, not, yeah, 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 of course. So, so I, I mean, it's a really complicated, you know, dekho, at the end of the day, and Sean, I apologize if this offends, it's not meant to at all. But, uh, but, you know, Salman Tassi's grandkids are growing up without a grandfather. Mumtaz Qadri's son is growing up without a father. There are people throughout this. There are people at Fezabad that lost their lives. There, I mean, people, people lose their lives. Asya Bibi's family, five kids grew up without their mother. Eight, eight and a half years. These are all, matlab, we're all people. And I think the progressive narrative is always founded in compassion. But I sometimes feel that when we feel like we're under attack, we have to defend ourselves. And in that defense, perhaps we don't expose enough of our compassion, which is the foundation for, what, for how we want to engage. It's interesting you say this, but I, I think that one of the things is about to what degree you do it. I think there's a practical consideration because the ultimate aim is not to assert your morality or that your sense of being in the right, but it's also an attempt to get to the right place, mm -hmm. right, for everyone put together. Um, that being said is I think where it puts a lot of people in a difficult position is that you know that whole argument that every side has validity? That is not true. No, but that's not what I was suggesting. No, but th this is where no, I'm but, coming but, to. Yeah. Right? This Argue. is where I'm coming to, is that there's a point at which 
where you're saying is, yes, I'm taking this seriously, I recognize the issues, but if what you are saying is ultimately an act of, you know, gross cruelty in some respects. And I agree that you've got sentiments involved, but we have to see beyond that. So I think that sometimes that even if you bring, you know, what, the question that some people, like, I'm relatively middle of the road in many things, but when I see some people being inflexible, I have to say I admire that because they take it at a position that, you know what, I'm standing up for this or that issue. And they, 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 even if it appears as contempt, it comes at a cost to them, a cost that they willingly. But I would argue on. that it comes at a cost to all of us. It does, but unfortunately, we don't. We are not really a group. Of course. But right? sure of how, how many sort of hoops does one have to go through, and how much acrobatics do you, do you have to do at the end of the day to to not come across as 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 offensive to anyone? I mean, part of the rules of the game is that you have, you will be at some point laughed at. I, I don't think it's a it's a very alien concept, but you know, um, there, there there has to be an element of disagreeing with the other side and the ability to laugh. I I'll think also, we suffer from, from from taking each other a little bit too seriously. I'll also just add um, one thing: I think, I think ourselves a little too seriously. because this is self self censorship. If if you're saying that you know a little an element of ridicule should not be sort of part of your of your conversation, you're you're self censoring here. I I mean I yeah I mean I'll be I'm, honest, we all self censor. but yeah. I'm a heavy self censor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm well yeah. known among yeah. my yeah. friends, and and I think sometimes. Uh, I think my friends are tolerant of me, but if I wasn't their friend, I think they would speak of me much more cruelly than than than. than no, no, I, I I I agree with you out of necessity that we have to self censor. I get that, but in principle, we should in in principle at least agree that that we should not have to self censor in order to. Um, in order to, you know, not be killed. But the, well, but, but, but the I, issue I is not not to be killed. Once you go down that path, then how many trip wires are you go, are you going to have so to have to avoid and jump across? Just one extension of that you know, argument say, I'd like to make is that, you know, on this whole thing about we have to come down. Like, if you look at it at a government level, then that is a invitation to endless rounds of negotiations. And then we cannot hmm. say that the government capitulated. So, so I I think that maybe I. Maybe I was m misunderstood, and probably I, I didn't. I wasn't clear. Even though I think you guys have hit it on the head, I am. Uh, I am generally somebody who is, I think, deeply conservative when it comes to how to engage in the public domain. I think you're, you're I, Sean, and you both are aware of that. But what I was saying was slightly different. What I was saying was not so much self censorship as it was, I think, using what I know is a compassion-driven narrative to begin with, to, to be more explicit in that compassion by, by maybe sometimes restricting the, the laissez-faireness of how we engage, which is why I was saying that I actually yeah. admire Gibran. I mean, he's much bolder uh, than I am, right? So, but even in his boldness, he's so responsible with how he deploys his, his so words. I, I will tell no, you No, no, he's, he's, he's not only that, he's also tremendously articulate. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's a rare gem. He's I get that. Speaker. But my, my question is that then why does Gibran end up with only two, three, four, six, however many thousand votes in a constituency of about 100,000? Why are there no takers for that? Oh, that's because... <laughs> <laughs> it's got a job. 
सेल्फ सेंसर सेल्फ सेंसर बट आई टेल यू वन थिंग नहीं इसका जवाब मैं देता हूं बिफोर दैट आई जस्ट वांट टू ऐड समथिंग इज वेयर आई डू एग्री विद यू एंड एंड आई थिंक दैट वन ऑफ द मेजर डिफिकल्टीज दैट हैज कम अक्रॉस इन पाकिस्तान एंड आई थिंक वी इवन डिस्कस दिस बिफोर इज दैट यू नो इफ यू आर मेकिंग अ स्पीच एंड विद इन दैट स्पीच somehow material dialectism makes its way you've lost the crowd the other thing is is that we've seen at least in political science research is that if you want to appeal to somebody you have to recognize their value set and if you do not recognize that value set now all these guys right who are paying for blood for example whether yeah. we all disagree with what they're asking for that just summarily kill somebody who's been exonerated but if we then go down and we have to figure out how do you appeal to that person the value set is what is that you know i am committed to my religion and i feel right and if you can affirm that because even within your liberal ethos is the full allowance to practice your religion If that's that doesn't false. come across, so I agree, you've lost the argument. No, but it doesn't come across. No, no, no I agree. They, they're able, problem. they're able to to paint uh, to tar and feather yeah. uh, liberals and progressives in this country with the with so much ease. It's astounding to me. Yeah, I, yeah, with the worst interpretation, worst possible interpretation of their words are put to them. Absolutely. There's, there's, there's no there's no generosity in 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 uh, interpreting the words. Uh, if you go out of, I mean, there's there's you know uh, arguments come across as you know like what is your agenda? Why are you doing this? There is uh, hesitation to 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 engage. There is no engagement. But like he, here's my question: that just swinging back to blasphemy uh, for a second, when a blasphemy accusation is made. um especially if, if if it becomes a national case um now because of social media and mainstream media everyone's connected everyone is everyone's neighbor um there you know a, a competition begins immediately a virtue signaling competition whereby who can express more uncontrollable rage now a lot of the rage that you saw in the in this in this in this meltdown this national meltdown that took place by the Tariq Lebek riot uh wasn't really people going out of control it was sentient thinking uh, rational people who were demonstrating uncontrollable rage because there is a virtue attached to that uh so you will virtue signal that you know i must be uh, a priori uh, 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 a moral person if i am this enraged so so there is a premium placed on 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 these certain values sort of demonstrating certain virtues and projecting them and we we we've sort of you know it's an open ended question why that happens but it's there i at the same time why is there no marketplace for the kind of virtues that you are proposing and i agree with all of them that you know you should be you should be mindful of the other person's cultural values uh, you should you should uh, you know watch what you say you should not be offensive but there are people gibran nasir being only one of them there are people who adhere to all of that but there's no there, there are no big takers for that they are not the kind of people who you know who 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 swing 60000 votes in an election why is that so so i think the short answer and this is why i i laughed when i said self censorship because i i think the one th- the sort of elephant in the room that we that we've kind of essentially not touched 
is the role of the state in cultivating, these, yes. cultivating and nurturing certain kinds of individuals and groups, uh, notwithstanding what the overall aim might be. But, you know, we've never seen the state cultivate, you know, a Gibran Nasser. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, so that's yes, yeah. kind of a, I mean, so that's your answer, right? Baraso vote versus 60,000. Well, and, the TLP and, guy in, in Toba Take Singh got 60,000 votes. And <laughs> I think so. the more worrying thing is that the curtailment of the use of these groups to achieve foreign policy objectives has somehow been subsumed to achieve internal policy objectives. But, but in, in, in these riots, clearly <laughs> the, the, um, the, 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 the uh, interests of these groups collided with the state, at least in the short run. I mean, I have no doubt that, that you know, the PTI government genuinely wanted this problem to go away. Um, over here, then, then why do you see such a willful surrender of the narrative by the state on a platter? Here's the narrative, you can have it. Not a peep out of the state or out of any, any media channels explaining certain facts to the nation. Fact number one, Asia Bibi is found innocent and she's been released for lack of evidence. She has not been released because there's a conspiracy to spread, uh, to encourage blasphemy in Pakistan. That's not true. Full, a full air was given to the, to the entire case and therefore she's released. Now that's a narrative. Asia Bibi was found innocent under the blasphemy law is a narrative. Why did the state sort of throw that out the window, shut all the media channels up, run into a hole, zip their mouths up, and basically they ran for the hills and left the ground open for the Tariq Lebec to put their narrative forward? Why that? Hey, yeah. I think on that note... Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. Talk about no, 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 no apology needed. I mean, I think that's a. I, I think that that's, uh, legitimately. I think it, it it's an open-ended question. I don't think I have an answer. I think we can posit. I think we've posited a number of theories and hypotheses, um, but we're also going on the upper limit of the duration of the podcast, uh, Sean. Let me just say, and I'll let Fussy uh, say his piece, but I, I just wanted to say what an absolute uh, pleasure it was uh, to have you join us. You uh, articulated yourself and conducted yourself with, I think, exemplary grace, uh, and uh, I think your father would be very proud. I, I hope and pray that Allah enables everybody in this country to be able to converse with each other with the openness and candidness, and I think... Uh, compassion for each other that I think you demonstrated for us and our views today. So thank you very much. I'd like to say, I, I think it's hard to add to that, but Sean, it was great speaking to you. I think uh, there are a number of things that I'm going to be thinking about after this. I found your insights really valuable. And I'll just probably before I let you just uh, say a few words, I read something recently that I found fascinating. It was uh, Hassan Zedi who's with Don, and he was like, essentially he was saying, like, writ of the state? We need to talk about the rut of the state. Because fundamentally, that's one of the issues that we're finding at least now. But yes, Sean. Well, guys, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. 
honor. It was uh, enlightening. Very nice to have this conversation. And firstly, uh, uh, I think this is the this is the first time we've spoken at length. Yes. And um, I want to say I am also going to be starting my podcast. I want you guys on that too. We'd love to. And, We'd and love to be on a on a nice podcast for once. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, uh, disagreements aside, I I've, I've said before I have admired your opinions from far and admired your ability to take your positions. And more power to you guys. All right, more power to you, you so as well. Much. Thank you, Sean. God bless you. And you take care. Take care. Khudafiz. Khudafiz.